Across the UK, overnights with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico You got to be in so much to see in Mexico Yep, that's where we're going now, to uh, Campeche in Mexico, and uh, a very warm welcome to our good friend uh, John Bonfilio. John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. No problem, very good evening to you all. Well, tell me first of all, uh, John, about this uh, volcano in uh, Mexico City. Um, We're talking, of course, about Popocatapetl. Uh, Oh my God! That's amazing. <laughs> I've shot you. How long, <laughs> How yes. long have you spent practicing that today? Hours. It's the whole day. <laughs> I cancelled all arrangements. Nothing. I said to my wife, she said, are you, are you coming to town? No, I can't. I've got to learn how to pronounce Papa Catapetal. Um, but there you go. Tell me, tell me about it. Anyway, what, what's, is, the, what's the story? That is the best surprise I've had all week, <laughs> uh, Martin Kellner. That's an, it is actually amazing pronunciation. So, yeah, w- well done to you. Uh, no you. other broadcaster in the UK, I think, uh, can get their lips around right. that. Look, it's been, it's been this, this volcano that was actually dormant for 70 years and uh, sparked up again in 94. Um, and has had some, some sort of flurries of activity and there's been some evacuations. Uh, of, of uh, populations around it. But the key thing about this volcano, which is which has spiked up again in activity as of 10 days ago, is that it is just southeast of Mexico City, uh, where 25 million people live. And there are two other conurbations on the other side of it, of 3 million and 1.5 million people. So um, as measurements go, it's one of the most dangerous on Earth, not because mm. of its activity, but because of its proximity to populations. So, so what that means is that even though the probability of a major eruption isn't that great, is that uh, huge amounts of people have cancelled absolutely everything in the last 10 days and are doing nothing except for watching the live feed direct from the volcano, gauging you know, this sort of amateur scientific gauging of what the volcano is going to do next. And it's been as much a, I guess, a social frenzy uh, and a hot topic of debate as it has been a sort of geophysical uh, event. It's it's captivated the entire country, and and actually, one of the things which has amazed me the most is the sudden uptick, the sudden amazing uptick in volcano-related infographics. You can't turn a screen here or open a newspaper without finding a new volcano-related infographic uh, designed to um, to inform you as to what's taking place uh, under the earth nearby. Yeah, and presumably people are being told to keep away from uh, Papa Catapetal. Yeah, uh, I mean, in a serious way, I mean, it's all serious, but for sure in a serious way, people have been told actually to prepare for evacuation. A lot of people, you know, they're being told to pack bags and so on. There is significant ashfall in a number of different uh, communities, a lot of post-apocalyptic imagery emerging from these from these areas, and, and life isn't straightforward. You know, actually, Mexico City Airport had to cancel 1,200 flights only a few days ago. But as you say, there's actually some, as often happens with these things, there's some verging on the ridiculous messaging, including uh, pretty high profile governmental messaging uh, around about Mexico City, which says, don't go near the crater. It is not going up to the crater 
walking around a live erupting volcano is not a sport, people are being told. Yes, that's interesting. In case you needed that, clarify. I was going to say, it's like, you know, wet paint. You always put your hand on it just to see how wet, how wet the paint is. And uh, it'll be the same there's, sort of... There's effect. also been an, uh, an, another amusing, uh, I guess, sort of quirky uh, bit of news in the last couple of days because there was a president here, 2006 to 2012, called Felipe Calderon, who was widely mocked for a whole variety of things. In fact, he, he, he established a new uh, narco-cartel law in which you had to register your phone uh, with ID and stuff in order to, to make sure that, you know, people didn't have burner phones. And then it immediately emerged, uh, within a couple of days that everybody had re-registered their phones in the name of the president, Felipe Calderon. Um, and he, in the last couple of days, posted a, an image on Twitter, a beautiful image of an erupting volcano in which he said, it's worrying, but it isn't it beautiful? Only trouble is, it wasn't Popocatepetl. It was actually Krakatoa that he posted an image of. Uh, Q general hilarity and ridicule. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. Not surprised. That also, um, this week, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, had the he launched his uh, candidacy for you know to be the Republican uh, candidate in the uh, American elections next year. Uh, launched it disastrously, didn't he? On Twitter, it all went wrong and everything. Um, but uh, the Mexicans are getting involved, or at least the uh, the president is getting involved. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, but it begs the question, does Twitter ever actually work out for anybody? Yeah. Certainly not at the moment. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. appear. Yeah, AMLO, Andres Manuel López Obrador, uh, has stepped into the DeSantis uh, debate and has told Latinos in, in the U.S. not to vote, emphatically not to vote for DeSantis. He's accused him of trying to win votes at the expense of migrants and has said that people sh- should not, Latinos, migrant Latinos, and people uh, of Latino heritage should not vote for those who go after migrants. Of course, this relates you know, to a very high profile DeSantis ploy of busing migrants from the southern border to northern cities, making a very high profile move in that way. Also, interestingly, his his vow to build a wall. We've heard that somewhere before. Now, mm. what's interesting about this is, of course, he's using the Trump re- rhetoric. But at the same time, in vowing to build a wall, he's actually admitting that Trump actually didn't manage to build a wall and that somebody else needs to come in and actually uh, do that and complete it. And of course, his rhetoric is fully anti-migrant. And as he said from day one, that he would declare a national emergency on the southern border. Of course, if you look at it from a sort of a, a, a Mexico perspective, it, people here would say, well, it's a bit rich for AMLO, for the Mexican president to be given uh, to be giving this advice, given Mexican complicity in U.S. border policing uh, for the last 10 or 12 years. I mean, basically, mm. Uh, the only way that the U.S. has actually uh, reduced, you know, as and when it has reduced its numbers at the border, it has been by co-opting Mexican policy. And, and that's how it's managed to do it. So uh, it's not exactly um, uh, uh, fair and true for AMLO to say that it's it's just the U.S.'s fault when actually, you know, Mexico, Mexican policy has been very much co-opted to do exactly the same thing that the U.S. are doing. Yeah, I mean, you you would think that not that many Latinos 
um, in, uh, in, in the US would vote Republican. But I know Trump did have a, you know, only from seeing reports, uh, during the last election on, uh, on our news over here. Um, there were some sort of quite well established uh, Latinos, uh, communities in, uh, in America, in Florida and, and elsewhere where they rather liked the cut of, uh, the cut of his jib. If you, you know, yeah. it's one of those things when you go up the ladder, you sort of want to pull the ladder up to stop anybody yeah. else coming in. So they rather like totally. that. Totally. I think there's, there's two things here. One is that actually a lot of migrants, um, I mean, not all migrants by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of migrants who have gone up to the US are actually, um, what you might term economic refugees, but not poor economic refugees. They're, they are, uh, wealthy, uh, magnates, business owners, empresarios who've actually up sticks and, and moved to the US because they felt that perhaps a leftist uh, threat from um, you know certain administrations in 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 Latin America. So so it's definitely not you know not all people not all Latinos who go to the US are you know, walk the entire distance of Mexico to get up to the border. There's a fair degree of uh, you know centre right individuals up there. Anyway, the second thing which is important to realize is that although generally Latinos would swing more towards a democratic worldview, if you are Venezuelan, if you are Cuban, you definitely do not share that. What you, you know, what is, um, what gives primacy to your worldview is detesting the Nicolas Maduro uh, administration, leftist administration, the Chavista administration in Venezuela, and similarly, the, you know, the Castroist mm. history in, in Cuba too. So, so that's what defines primarily your voting tendency, and that is very definitely hardline Republican. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, from uh, a sporting point of view, obviously, um, the uh, La Liga in Spain is all, always what there's so many uh, Latinos who, who, you know, play football uh, there. That, that's always watched uh, very carefully. And the uh, the racism that's been suffered by uh, Vinicius Junior, uh, which has been a big story over here, um, also has had quite a lot of impact in uh, in South America too. Huge, huge, absolutely huge, especially in Brazil. I mean, look, look, the level of this is that not only did Lula Silva, the president, come out and speak about it, but Brazil summoned the Spanish ambassador. I mean, these are serious diplomatic events, which which normally, you know, when you when you summon an ambassador, it's reserved for them. The foreign ministry also wrote to their Spanish uh, counterparts. And, and what's interesting about the language that they use there is that they spoke about yet another inadmissible episode. So everyone's really clear that what took place with Vinicius Jr. in the last uh, week or so wasn't just, you know, a single isolated event. It was a continuation of endemic institutionalized racism in Spain. The big high profile thing which reached the, the, the UK press was, of course, the Christ the Redeemer, you know, mm. hugely emblematic uh, Brazilian icon. Its lights were switched off on Monday as well, you know, in, in, uh, in solidarity with, uh, with Vinicius. And actually, just in the last few hours, it's been announced that Brazil will play friendlies with Guinea and Senegal. Uh, in Spain uh, in June as part of an anti-racism racism drive in, in the country. For sure, you know, you would have to be, you would ha really have to have your head in the sand to think that Spain's racism problem is isolated or is uh, no bigger than a few bad fans. I mean, anybody who knows anything about uh, Spanish uh, 
uh, football and also Spanish history knows that this is a significant issue and has been for a very long time. It doesn't crop up all, all that often in the news cycle. But if anything comes, you know, anything good comes of this is that this is now an, a completely unignorable issue in La Liga. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if uh, UEFA uh, do anything because uh, their history is not is not great in in that area and several other areas as well. Um, John, as always, thank you uh, ever so much. Do appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk again soon. No problem. Congratulations again on your pronunciation of Papa Catapetal. Bless yes, you. Yes, there we go. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, cheers, uh, John Bonfilio. There joining us from Campeche. In Mexico, right, we're going to take a short